We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. I'm Nechami, founder of Defiance Beauty by Nechami, a natural, high-performance beauty brand that is dedicated to celebrating diversity, empowerment, and inclusivity in the world of beauty. This podcast supports our mission of giving a voice and visibility to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect all of us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night and we are women. I am so excited to have comedian Khani Lesbin on this week's episode where she shares her journey of how she became who she is today, starting with her parents' divorce when she was five years old and how that impacted her personality and her way of looking at the world. Khani talks about how she decides which vulnerable and painful parts of her story to share with the world and shares her story of how her alcohol addiction started and then her path to recovery. Khani talks about how she took ownership of her life and transformed into the happy person that she is today when she got started as a comedian, how unconditional love was a huge part of her healing journey, and how people can support their loved ones who are struggling with alcohol addiction. She also shares some do's and don'ts when it comes to serving alcohol at parties and so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Listen in and be inspired. Oh man, this poor little girl had, um, I was scared of everything. Um, my parents got divorced when I was young. I was like five years old. I actually don't know how old I was. I think I was five or six and everything just felt unsafe. Um, I, I think when I was born and up until that moment, I was full of joy and imagination and like super playful. And then when that happened, it like broke me. And like little Khani was like destroyed. Like my little heart was broken. My family was just, you know, not what it, it, it just, it was really hard. It was really hard being me. Um, and what I did to get by is I just tried to make people laugh that was like currency in my house. Like if you could make people laugh, you were better. You know, my father was always funny and making jokes. And I felt like if I could make him laugh, if I could make my mom laugh, then like, at least I'm holding some weight in this family. And so from like a little young, young, young age, I remember just being like, I just have to distract everybody from how bad this is. Wow. And I did that wherever I went in school. I was like the class clown, always getting into trouble. You know, it was it was my, my, my language of like, of love was like, let me just make you laugh, you know? Yeah. That must have been a big burden to carry though. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. (laughs) It wasn't fun. I remember just like, even like walking to Shul, I remember this one memory of like, I was scared to like step on the cracks, like, which is on the sidewalk, which is like such a normal thing. But I remember thinking like, if I step on the cracks, like the world is going to end, like everything felt so scary. And there was just like this heaviness about me, maybe not heaviness when I was little, but when I was a teenager, definitely. Like if you only knew how bad my life was, like I had this chip on my shoulder, you know, for so long, I was like a permanent victim. And I felt like it made me better than you for, you know, having this intense background, not better, but just like broken. And I felt like the whole world could see it on my face. Right. Wow. That's so hard. Yeah. 
Okay, because I have a few way, directions that I want to go with this, but um, if we want, we could just like skip to being an adult or we could continue with this. But so as a, so you were the class clown, you were always making jokes, you were the funny one. That's how you kind of like manifested the stress, right? Or yeah. the sadness. It's so interesting, by the way, because, and I'd love to hear from your perspective, but do you feel like a lot of comedians have this dark side, like more so than other people? Yes. And if they say they don't, they're lying. Or they're not funny. I feel like in order to be funny, you had to have experienced trauma. Because comedy is tragedy plus time. That's what, for me, that's what it is. And I find when I go to comedy shows and someone is getting up there and they're just like, that, that, my life is perfect. It's very hard for me to connect. We, right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, addiction with, with comedians. A lot of us are alcoholics and drug addicts. A lot of us in recovery, right? I'm a sober um, alcoholic. So I did get sober when I was 25 years old. Um, and, you know, I drank every day for years. And I know a lot of comedians who are in active alcoholism. And then I know a lot of comedians who are sober. There's, we have a dark, we definitely, I don't want to stereotype and say everybody, but I, I would say it, it is safe to say that we do have this underlying pain or sadness that we are trying to, you know, heal for me, right. I'll speak for me, but yes, hundred percent. Right. It's so interesting because I feel like we connect to other people on a very deep level. Like we like the darkness, like that's how we connect. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I don't understand why people wouldn't want to be that open about themselves. Like I did a show last night and I shared so vulnerably about myself. And I was like, this makes me feel alive. I know most people would die before they shared what I shared, but I'm like, let me tell you about my life. And it's like, it doesn't feel brave to me. It just feels like this is what God put me on this world to do is to just be honest. And even if it is dark, I'm going to share it, you know? Were you always able to be so vulnerable though? Or was that something that took time? I think I think it came from being in 12-step community for so long and being a part of that space of like, we share openly our feelings. I remember when I first came in, I would hear people, even specifically like men cry or share about things. And I was like, you can't talk about that. And then I got used to it. And then it became something that I started doing. And when I share, I try to just share whatever's going on and not care what other people are going to think about how I sound or how I look. And that definitely has helped my comedy. I know that. So it's not why I go to meetings, but it has helped. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm not shocked to like, just share. I've been sharing for 16 years publicly about my pain and my trauma. And, you know, a lot of the times yeah. when I would share, people would laugh and I would be like, why are they laughing? Like, I didn't understand, you know, because they relate. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also the whole idea of vulnerability is it's very scary for people and it's like a muscle you have to use. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you're not used to it, it's like, why would I do that? It's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. But I've been doing it for a very long time. So it, it feels like a second language for me. Like I'm going to share, honestly, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Right. So how do you have, so it's, I guess we'll, we'll talk about this first for a minute, but um, I want to go back to the story of, of, of how you started drinking also, but um, because we're sure. talking about like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, let's do it. This is, by the way, this is water. I just want to let you know it's water. <laughs> 
<laughs> not a lot of drink anymore. Um, it's so boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to ask you in regards to the vulnerability of sharing, where are your boundaries with that? Because it could get very good yeah. question. Good question. So it's interesting that you asked that because for for many years I would share publicly about specific traumas that happened. And I needed to do that for my healing. And then at some point it shifted and I was like, that's private. That's nobody's business. And I think it had it, it happened because I did all the healing on my own and with the ability to share it when it felt safe that I just one day was like, I don't need to talk about that anymore on stage. It's not funny. It's funny. The jokes are very well written and they're hilarious, but I don't need to be sharing that level of vulnerability. It's, it's off-putting to people. It's jarring. And at, I think for a long time, I enjoyed that shock value to people. And now I'm like, it's almost unfair. It's, it's a little bit selfish to expect people to be able to hold that much pain when they don't even know me. So, mm. you know, it's like I had to learn of like what what actually feels appropriate to be sharing and what doesn't, you know, and I share vulnerably with the people that feel safe. I don't just share vulnerably everywhere I go. You know what I mean? But I yeah. there were there was like a two year period where every time I got on stage, I I was that person who was sharing about things that happened. And I, I wrote very funny jokes about the trauma that I went through. But at some point I was like, it's private it's private and it's mine to hold, to like cherish, you know, I don't need yeah. the whole world to know the pain that I went through because the healing had already happened. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how my family feels about that. Cause you know, they, <laughs> you know, your family doesn't want you to be sharing anything, but that's right. part of, part of my, um, my, my role in this life is to just be my own person and my family can either support it or not. But I know that it does bother them that I share as much as I do because, you know, you're not supposed to tell family secrets. It's just not what you do. Yeah. So how do you, by the way, have that? I feel like, you know, the law of law of synchronous is, you know, certain patterns keep or conversations keep on coming up. And there was one conversation recently that I've been having with people, which is about like, at what point does your story that involves other people like how could you share it or like when could you share it when can you not share it so like how yeah. do you decide what you could share when it involves other people and what you can't you know because you also have the right to share your story yeah so I wrote a one-woman show it's called good Jewish girl I'm working on it now with the director and in that show I decided to share my full story of my life and all of the challenges that I went through in a way that is not punishing or pointing fingers it's my experience and I feel like that show is a very appropriate container for me to share my life it's not just me on a random podcast it's not just me on a, an Instagram live it's it's like this is a work of art and it's an expression of myself and so, you know, I am nervous about the repercussions that might happen from me sharing that show or doing that show, but I want that show, well, I'm going to say it in a different way. That show is going to be turned into a television show. It's going to be a mini series. And so the world is going to know. And why do I need that? I don't know. But that's what my heart is like, feels drawn to is, is sharing my experience because I think 
it's really powerful for other women or people to see that like the things that we go through, no matter how bad they are, can actually help us become these incredible people. I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have that in my background. If I had a beautiful childhood, I would probably be married now with four kids, stay-at-home mom, which is a great life. That's an amazing life, but that wasn't my path. I needed to go through the healing and the the alone time of being single, of finding myself, connecting to God, trusting God, and healing from the insane trauma to get to this person who's like a full-time comedian. That wouldn't have happened if I had a, a beautiful childhood. That just wouldn't have happened. You know? Right, right, for sure. And I acknowledge yeah. that and I'm grateful. And I and if I had to do it again, I don't know that I could live through it again. I don't. But I don't have to, so that's fine. Unless you're telling me that I have to because that would suck. <laughs> that would oh suck. Uh, you can't give me a million dollars to go back so much. No, literally. There's not, even knowing how good it gets at the end, I still, it was so painful every single day for so many years my body and my little soul wouldn't be able to do it again. Right. For sure. And yeah, I mean, I think that even without the pain, just, just the development of a child and, you know, all the struggles that we go through as kids, I mean, but for sure with, you know, the extra added pain, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot. So I wanted to ask you actually, like, how, how do you stay so positive? And like, you don't have a chip on your shoulder, like the way no. that you talk and no. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. I have the best life. How do I do it? It takes a lot of discipline. It's a choice that I make every single day. I start every day with journaling, reading, prayer, and meditation. Every single day, I start with gratitude and it infuses itself into my body. When I'm driving down the street, I know this sounds insane. I'm on my bike, I'm driving a car, I'm swimming. What I'm saying is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it 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 changes the course of my energy. It, it's just, because it used to be, and that affects everything. I walk into a room now and people are like, what? Why are you on? I'm like, oh, sorry. I just love myself. Ah, sorry. I'm so sorry. I just love God. Ah, it's so annoying. You know what I mean? But it, 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 um, it's discipline. It's a daily practice, and it's a choice that I make every single day. Do I want to be happy or do I want to be miserable? What do I want? I was miserable for so, so many years. So how did you come to that realization to start working on yourself? Oh, man. <laughs> I think I finally realized that I had a chip on my shoulder, like that it was real, real. Like only it, it's it's very recent. This this version of who you're seeing today is like, I would say, three years old. Wow. Two and a half. It's new. I had a chip for so long. I met some people in recovery who really helped me to see that I was the person limiting my own life. Mm. Wow. And once I saw it and heard the way that I was talking to myself, oh, that can never happen for me. Oh yeah, I'm never going to be a full-time comedian. Oh yeah, no. And they're like, what are you, you're, what you're saying is actually going to happen. So maybe just change the narrative. And I know it sounds so silly, but for a very long time, I would stand in the mirror and I would say, Hani, you're a full-time successful comedian. 
you're a full-time successful comedian over and over again. Stare in the mirror and be like, Hani, I love you. Hani, I love you. I still do that. Um, <laughs> I love that. I, it's not crazy at all. I mean, this is literally the whole mind, you know, manifestation yeah. idea. Whatever you want to call it. If you're not into manifesting, fine. But it's just the word, our thoughts become our, our words yes. and our words yes. become our actions and whatever. The whole yes. thing, yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, and I and I didn't want to believe it for so long because I was like, well, then why is my life shitty? You know, like I was sober, fifth, you know, 12, 11 years and just watching all the people around me doing things that they wanted to be doing. And I was like, I felt so stuck. And I was like, that's never going to be me. It's never going to be me. And then like, even the fact that I'm like in Florida for the winter, you know, like last year I came to Florida to headline a show and I thought to myself, I want to spend next winter in Florida. I don't want to be in New York. It's so cold. And then something happened. And now I'm spending the winter in Florida. Wow. I don't know how that happened. God, it's my, it's my willingness to believe that I deserve to have a life that is good. Right. I'm a big believer on that. Yes. I was the person standing in my own way. It was my thinking. Wow. That's amazing. And it's so wonderful when you could have someone from, because you said it was someone in recovery, right? Yeah. Be an objective person, not a yes person. Just be like, hey, honey, like here's the situation. Like you need to fix this. And I, I love that. I love like those good friends who could do that. Yes. And I'm sur I surround myself with people like that. Like those are the kind of people who are in my inner circle are people who just want the best for me. And they're like, there's no emergencies. You're fine. Like, just go out and be the best comedian you know how to be. And I'm like, what? They're like, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be a full-time comedian. Like, they're just like pumping me up. And now it's like, when I call them to tell them the things that I get booked on, they're like, yeah, we're not surprised. <laughs> I'm like, I am. They're like, stop being surprised. This is what God put you on this earth to do. Now you're just ready to show up for it. Right. And when I say things like it's so scary, they're like, no, it's not scary. Stop saying it's scary. It's abundant. They change the language, even how I describe it. They're like, stop being so shocked. When I say, oh my God, it's so crazy. They're like, it's not crazy. It's beautiful. God loves you. It's beautiful. God loves you. And I'm like, okay, God loves me. And so then I just walk around all day. They're like, God loves you. It's, I'm not high. I swear to God, I'm not high. <laughs> This is water. I just have to repeat that. This is water. I've had some food today. I worked that's, out. That's so funny. No, I high. love that. No, but I love that. I love that that you like also because it's it's also it's one step to like hear what someone's telling you, and then it's the next step to actually go and implement change. Yes. Yes. So that's really incredible that you, you went and did the work because and I'm and I'm still doing the work because we're always working on ourselves. Yes. But yes. that's. I let's just backtrack for a minute because I want I would love for you to share your story of how you started drinking and then the path to recovery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I started drinking young-ish. I was 15. Um, and I remember, and I know that this doesn't make me an alcoholic, but I, I remember the first drink as if it was yesterday. And I remember the details of like the way the sun hit the couch, like it was like, ah, you know, like um my whole family was in synagogue and um I had this thought, like, if I pour myself a drink and it's it's vodka and Sprite, then it looks like Sprite. And then it looks like I'm just drinking Sprite. Not a big deal. I thought I was a genius for coming up with that idea. <laughs> I was like, 
I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Alcohol is legal. You can't tell me not to drink. It's not drugs. And so I just, you know, drank as often as I could. I was 15. My sister was married and like had like a little bit of like a party house. And I would go there every weekend and just drink. And I would live for the weekends. And then when I was 20, when I was about to be 21, I moved to New York from LA. I grew up in LA. Um, it was the first time that I wasn't around my family and I could just do whatever I wanted. And I grew up in a very strict Orthodox Jewish home. And so this was the first time there wasn't like someone policing me about like, what are you wearing? Are your, are your elbows covered? Are your knees covered? Like, did you wait six hours in between milk and meat? Like, it was just like a very rigid structured environment. Um, and so I sort of was on my own. I wasn't sort of, I was on my own for the first time. And that's when my drinking took off. And that's when the victimhood really came in. And I was like, I just brought heaviness of like, if you had my life, you would drink too. That was the energy that I brought to every situation. I don't know how I made friends. People liked me, but I was not a nice person. I was angry and bitter and I wasn't like a nice person when I was drinking and then um, the way that I got sober was like a by accident. I wasn't planning on getting sober. I really, really thought I was going to die as a drinking person because I loved it so much. It was my entire personality was alcohol. Like I carried it in my bag with me everywhere I went. So um, a friend of mine had gotten sober and he asked me to like support him at a meeting. And he was really trying to help me. I didn't realize that. I thought I was going to help him, you know, and it turns out that something shifted when I went and I, I saw a room full of people who I believed hadn't had a drink that day and were smiling. And I didn't think the two were possible. And I was like, how do you do that? How do you smile and be sober? I associated so sobriety with like boring, stupid, like nothing's going to be fun. And for some reason, there was like a moment of grace in that night where I was like, I want to have what these people have. I want it. And I'll do whatever the f they tell me to do. And that was my first night sober. That was August 16, 2007. Wow. So I haven't needed to take a drink since then. That's amazing. It's always that's. It's so interesting because the date that people become sober is almost um, like their birthday, you know? Oh, it's, it's like, more important than my birthday. Yeah. I don't care about my birthday. I have a party every year for my anniversary. Wow. Every year I celebrate it. It's, 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 it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge milestone. Yeah. When you started drinking at 15, like you mentioned, right? It was 15. Mm -hmm. Were you drinking because you just like you felt better, like it made you feel more relaxed or or was it because you just like wanted to be cool? Like, like, like what was the reason? I was so angry and it made me feel better. It made me forget how much pain I was in. Mm -hmm. It was like a, 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 a anesthetizing myself. You know what I mean? It was like medicating. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting is that the trauma that I speak about, you know, I didn't know about that trauma when I was 15 years old. I only remembered the trauma after I got sober. It was so far down. My body didn't let me remember until I was like two years sober. It just came wow. to me one day and I was like, oh, that's why I was drinking. Like the pain, I just, I, my body like literally blacked it out walked it out, whatever, 
for all those years, I only remembered when I was 27 years old, something that had happened when I was three, you know? So I don't know when I was 15, why I was actually drinking. I don't know, but I know that it made me feel better and it made me feel in control in a, in a life that I didn't think I had any. So I can control how much I drank and how good I felt or how shitty I felt. I didn't care that I knew I was going to throw up every time I drank. I was like, I don't care. It's fine. (laughs) I knew I was going to get sick and I didn't care. Wow. Yeah. You were clearly in a lot of pain to not care because most people would think, okay, but it's almost like an allergic reaction. Like you don't want to do it because you know, you're going to suffer. Exactly. Didn't care. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Did, did you also, I mean, I could be like totally making this up, but I was just thinking like, was there any thought that maybe you were like less funny if you didn't drink? Like, were you worried about that at all or totally not? No, I wasn't doing comedy back then. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, there's no way I would do comedy as a drinking person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no, there's no, I, I, yeah, that would not, I don't know how people do it. I, I think I was worried that I wouldn't have fun but not, I wasn't really specifically worried about not being funny because I wasn't doing comedy. I only started doing comedy after I got sober. Uh, okay. So I don't have the experience of being like drunk on stage. Right. So you were just a very funny kid and then you yeah. did the actual comedy. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. After I got sober, I was like, mm, I'm going to take a class. I think I might be onto something. <laughs> That's how I started. I took a, a six week stand up class in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to ask. That was my next question. So did you one day decide like you were so bored and you're like, oh, let me look into comedy? Like A friend of mine was like, I just went to a show. My friend took this class. I think you would like it. And so I just went and took it. And um, I took that class like three times. I really liked the teacher. Um, well, twice with that teacher. And then I didn't continue on. I was still working in the diamond district at like a nine to five job. And it was more just like a passion, like a hobby kind of thing for, for years. I would do it just for fun. I wasn't making any money. I didn't consider that I could make money from it. I didn't believe in myself. Wow. And then something shifted in the pandemic. Oh, okay. yeah. Why you called the, yeshiva, the, the college and they're like, can you come do comedy for us? And I was like, what? <laughs> they're like, we're going to pay you this amount of money. I'm like, what? No one had ever offered me that amount to do, to be myself. And so the night was super successful. I had the best time and they loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I can make money doing this. Like, and then I started making money slowly, 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 you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So how did you build yourself up to where you are now? Because now you're working on a one woman show. So how did that? Yeah. Um, Discipline. God. Willingness to show up for my future self. Yeah, I wrote that show like last summer, not this past summer, the summer before, like 10 minutes a day. I would set a timer and I'm like, you're writing your show. You're writing your show today. That's what you're doing. And I did 10 minutes a day for a while. And then I upped it to like 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. And then I finished it. Um, yeah, it's a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline. Yeah, this is also such a great lesson for people who have a dream that just taking a few minutes every day and being disciplined, you know, like you, 
you said it's 10 minutes in the beginning. That's not difficult. 10 minutes. No. It's all you need. And then you can, you have no idea how much you can accomplish with 10 minutes a day. It's like the craziest trick that no one's talking about. That's true. My friend who I'm staying with now is writing a one woman show. And I was like, start with 10 minutes a day. And that's what she's doing. And she has like a full on beginning now. She started two weeks ago. Our brains think this project, it's too big. I can't do it. I can't do it. So we don't do it. But if you can do 10 minutes and everybody, you can do anything for 10 minutes. And then you just stop after 10 and you're like, okay, I'm coming back tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's such great advice. When you were going through your journey of becoming sober, what was the most supportive action that someone did for you or or things that they told you, you know, whether it was a loved mm. one or a friend, mm. relative, what helped you? It was a hundred percent the the unconditional love that I was getting from other people that were sober. They loved me in a way that I had never experienced love before. And it it started to like help me to learn to like myself. I remember there was this one woman specifically who like would take my calls no matter when. We would talk on the phone for hours, one in the morning, two in the morning. I was just so anxious. And she was sober like a bunch of years. And I was like a year and a half sober, crawling out of my skin. And she would just, we would just be on the phone and she would just not rush me off. Listen, we would make jokes. Those conversations, like had so many of them with so many people of just being like, we're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. was just so, so powerful for like someone who just didn't believe that they deserved that kind of love, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine how beautiful the world would be if everyone would grow up with unconditional love? I can't. Yeah. I mean, it would be a beautiful place, a beautiful place. Like that's how, when I'm spending time with my friend's kids now, like that's what I give them. And it's so healing for me to spend time with them because I, I, I'm trying to just be, not that I'm their parent, but like, even as like a person who's hanging out with them, just to give them the love and attention that I, I know that would have been life-changing for me. And these kids are growing up with it. And I'm, it makes, it makes me so happy that to know that there's like another way to, to be a little kid in the world, you know, like all their needs are met. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Humble brag. (laughs) Um, I remember this is going to be a little dark, but like when I was here the first week, her mom, their mom was like, Oh, you guys go take showers. And in my mind, I was like, but they took a shower yesterday. I grew up getting a shower once a week. Like that was just what I got. And so I was like, your kids take them every day. She's like, yeah, that's what we do every day, every day. I was like, cool no big deal I told the kids why I was so shocked by it and they were like what I'm like I know once a week for Shabbos like we all got in the bath and we took a bath for Shabbos I didn't grow up taking a bath every night I didn't even know that was a thing I mean as an adult I take a shower every day but I didn't (laughs) as a kid I was like they get them every day okay Wow. So fancy, you know, like I just didn't know. Crazy. It's it's so crazy what we think is normal. Yeah. Because of our own childhood. Like I thought she was overdoing it. And she's like, no, all kids get bathed yeah. every day. I was like, at what point? She's like, no, every day. Not just like after a certain age, like just every day. And it's still like, because of how much that didn't happen for me, I'm like, wow. And I'm 42 and I'm still shocked that like, I just didn't have that experience. 
Wow. Yeah. I know. Look at your face. It's saying a lot, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I, right. That's so crazy. And yeah. <sighs> I hope my mom loves this ed- this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what it is. It is what it is. You know, like that's what it was. There's no judgment on it. That's just what it was. Right. Yeah, totally. And we all have things that I'm sure if we would tell other people or if they would comment, there would be a fly on the wall. You know, when we were growing up, they'd be like, that's not normal. And you're like, oh, it's not, you know, because yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So for yeah. you, it's a bath. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, with my the- sister, with my brother, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not my older brother. Well, he was a little older. The point is, we're going to move on to another topic. <laughs> Yes, I actually want to ask you, because I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. Do you have any advice for people um, who have loved ones who are currently going, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol? Mm. I don't like to say alcoholics, but I guess, you know, or would be worried about them that they're overdoing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to promote any 12-step groups, but there are places that they can go where they can learn how to detach with love. I think it's very hard to be in that situation without community around who knows exactly what you're going through, because there is something very specific about being in a relationship, whether it's a child or a parent or a partner that is an, that is drinking, like that's a heavy drinker. That's unable to stop the pain that that creates is very specific. The powerlessness that we feel over watching someone do that to themselves And I know that because that there are rooms in the world where people gather to support each other with that specific pain, I think is a very beautiful place for them to start. Because there's no, like, for me to say, oh, detach with love, it's like, what do you mean? But like, I have been to those rooms for a, a, you know, for a number of reasons. And I have learned that we are powerless over other people's behavior and like no amount of loving them is going to change their drinking, you know? Um, no one could have said anything to help me get sober. It needed to come from me. And that's the most painful truth is that no one's going to get sober from anything that you tell them. They're either going to want to do it from inside their gut or they're not. And it's, it's a painful reality, but that is, has been my experience. It's like, if they're a a problem drinker to the point where they can't stop and they know they're going to lose their family and they know they're going to lose their job if they're, if they're at that point where they can't stop, nothing you can say, like nothing. It has to come from a desire to want to be sober. Right. It's very sad. It's very sad. For sure. Some and then people, once... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go first. Gonna... You're prettier. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say like once they're already like on their journey, what's a good way of just being supportive to them? You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good question. I just think being supportive. Just be supportive. If that means getting rid of alcohol in the house for a little bit, if that means not pressuring them to go to parties, if that means saying like, hey, what do you need for your recovery today? Just like, you know, I had some family members who were not supportive and it really crushed my spirit, you know, that they didn't believe in me. You know, those kind of comments, like those backhanded comments, like they go, they, they enter our souls and they stay there. So if you could just be like, wow, I'm so proud of you. You know, I remember my mother right in the beginning, she was just so proud of me. She was just like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And then for my 16th anniversary, I had a sweet 16 party. She flew in and she like came 
to my birthday party, my, my anniversary party. And it was like her acknowledging the importance of this day was really healing, you know? And I'm sure yeah. she's always been supportive, but the, the physical act of like flying into New York for the first time to celebrate this milestone, just, it was really, really special. For sure. Like physically showing her support meant a lot. Yeah. 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 Wow. You know, okay, so there's this pressure when people go to parties, and I think that it's starting to become uh, a little bit more um, acceptable. Accept, yeah, acceptable to not drink, whatever. But um, what would you say? Like, what's a what's a safe way of inviting someone to drink if you don't know? Great tool. Can. Great. If someone says no, thank you, just let it be. No pressure. No follow up questions. You sure? Just have a little. Just one. For me, as a tip of someone who's sober, the one thing that I always do is I have a drink in my hand. Always. So I'm not drinking anyone else's by mistake. I have a drink. It's a seltzer. There's ice. There's probably cranberry juice in there. <laughs> my hands are always have a drink in them. And that takes away the nervous energy of having to like, where's my drink? Where's I, I hold on to my drink for dear life. Yeah. That's, that's a really good tip that I've used over the years. And yeah, just that's like great keep your eye on your drink. Do not put it down because you can pick it up and drink someone else's by mistake, which has happened to me. Oh, it's I... really, really scary. I was at a, yeah, I, I, I drank alcohol by mistake and I like flipped out because like I wasn't super careful, you know? So like, that's why I have that strict, like I keep my hands on my drink the whole time. And if someone, if someone says no, thank you, just don't pressure them. Yeah. Respect their boundaries. For sure. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Those were great. Okay. If you had one message to give over to the next generation of women, what would that message be? The first thing that just came to me is believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Whatever it is, that thing that makes you so happy that you think you could never make a living out of, just go for it. Because you literally don't know if you don't try. Believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself and know that you're worth having the life that you want. Whatever it is, if it's, you know, getting married and being a mom, if it's having, a, being a career, you know, a, an author who goes on book tours, if it's, you know, a veterinarian, like whatever it is that you think, oh, I could never try it. Just do it. Cause nothing is going to make you as happy as, as doing that will nothing, nothing. Yeah, totally. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about Okay, you? so let me give you my address. They can come visit me anytime. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> come hang out, guys. No, you can find me on Instagram. My name is Khani, C-H-A-N-I underscore Lisbon, L-I-S-B-O-N. So it's Khani Lisbon. I also have a podcast. Um, it is called Hi, My Name Is Recovery. Um, and it's on Spotify and, and iTunes and Apple, all the places, um, is iTunes still a thing? It's called hi, my name is, and it's a recovery podcast. And I do it with my friend, Jimmy. Um, right now we're on a pause cause we just finished season one. So we're, you know, that's where, but yeah, those are the two places you can find me. And I do, I love doing private gigs for like parties, bachelorette parties, Shava Brachos, like all the things I can come into your house and just make you guys laugh for 45 minutes and you will. Have a great time. I'm 100% sure of it. <laughs> I love that. Okay, thank you so much for joining me today, Connie. This was so fun to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.
That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Defiance Beauty BN and on our website, defiancebeauty.com. If there is a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard.